the Standing Orders podcast. Welcome to this latest edition of the Standing Orders podcast with me, Dr. Thomas Foreman, and my co-host, Councillor Sue Lorne. Good evening, Councillor. Good evening, Thomas. How are you this evening? I'm very well, Councillor, and how are you? I'm fine, thank you. It's been a busy day, but um, it's been it's been good. Now, at this point, I should say, we actually recorded this podcast two days ago. And when I came to edit it, I realised that I only had a third of what you'd said in what was a mammoth podcasting event. Um, and so most of it was just me laughing at my own jokes without anyone else laughing along with me. And there's nothing new there then, is there? <laughs> and so we are actually doing this on the evening of the election. So the polls are still open and I'm going to desperately try and turn this around to be able to release it within just a matter of hours. So if you could make my life easy, make perfect sense, not mess anything up, but not require any editing, I would massively appreciate it. Your wish is my command. And we're going to make it, I mean, the last one was more than an hour and a half long. We're going to try and keep this one to 30 minutes or so, for the same reason as I just said, I don't want to spend a load of time trying to edit. Well, stop talking, Thomas, and just get on with the show. (laughs) So a lot of this is going to sound, well, actually, because you've been out kind of uh, around the polling stations today, this is going to sound both old hat to you, but also you're going to have much better informed kind of views than you had last time because you will actually know broadly what some people were saying as they were going into the polling station. So I'm expecting your kind of projections for today in terms of the outcome to be as accurate as possible. And I'm thinking, you know, Sir John Curtis could actually learn an awful lot from your insight this evening. He certainly could. But you have to remember that this was early this morning that I visited uh, the first polling station and it's, you know, things could have changed drastically in that time. And I'm pretty pleased that you didn't record my predictions from the last meeting, the last chat that we had, because I think things are very different to what I thought they would have been on uh, when, when we did the, the previous podcast. So, yes, so I get a chance to reprieve myself and hopefully know what I'm talking about now. Well, I, I want, once again, that would probably be... <laughs> Don't even go there. Don't even go there. So, last couple of days ago, I was thinking that locally the Conservatives would be taking a real big hit because of what um, central government had been up to over the past 18 months. But after being there for a few hours this morning, I'm thinking that maybe in this area, in our in our town, I'm thinking that maybe the Conservatives won't do too badly. The turnout this morning was extremely low uh, in comparison to what it would have been at that time of the day on previous elections. 
and I've done a few of them now, and I was expecting it to be, um, you know, to not to necessarily be conservatives that would be would be coming out. But this morning, it was definitely conservative voters who were um, were coming down, and uh, and it was all really positive for the local town council well, and district council. I, I would say it is a historically conservative area, and I think I said that. And I actually stand by what I said last time, which is I think nationally the Conservatives are are likely to struggle because of some of the issues that you kind of outlined. I think this is one of the first times that you could really see in a local election that what was happening nationally was day-to-day affecting kind of people's intentions. Um, I I would caveat all of this with uh, I think that, you know, Labour aren't going to be having a strong showing as people might expect because places like Wales, Scotland and London aren't having elections and they're normally places where Labour do very well. So I think that needs to be kind of considered in the mix of what the outcomes will be. I think if Labour were to do well, they would need to take seats from uh, the Liberal Democrats, who I think the last time this election happened, gained a few hundred seats overnight. I think Labour would need to take some of those and would need to take some from the Conservatives and would need to be looking at a good few hundred seat gain to really show that 18 months away from a general election, they're well, basically going to be a real alternative to, to the current government. So I think it's going to be a bit of a, a mixed bag in terms of what Labour could be expecting. Um, I think some of the smaller parties... I say smaller, not really for any other reason other than their current kind of showing. So parties like the Green Party could potentially do really well. Uh, The Liberal Democrats, I think they kind of had, I think actually when they launched their local election campaign, didn't they drive a tractor through a load of blue (laughs) hay bales as a (laughs) bit of a launch? They certainly did. And so I think, you know, they're certainly gunning for a few Conservative seats. And there are thousands of Conservative seats up. um, And who knows you know what the outcome will be but i i suspect national politics has played a big part of it and i think that some of the issues over the past 12 months the shortest premiership of a prime minister in history the issues around trust and transparency i wonder whether people will be looking to send a message nationally or whether they will actually look more at local issues and decide actually i can keep my powder dry for another 18 months and actually reflect my frustration at a general election as opposed to at a local election. So basically, I'm not nailing my colours to any particular mask. And, 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 I'm, and I'm just saying, well, I think some people could do well, some people could do badly, or it could all reverse. So, I, think I, think, got, I think you've got that right. But I, no, I, I do think that, well, I, I can only go with this area. I think that probably the north of England um, will probably, it won't necessarily be Labour that will take over the you know the the running um but it, i think it will be between the three of them i think it will be the greens lib dems and labor who will take if they're going to take conservative seats they but i don't think it'll be a stronghold for for labor um so but i think in in east anglia i think that we'll probably i say we they will probably be okay this time round 
But I think that central government have got to learn serious lessons from this. If and again, you know, I was talking to one lady this morning, and she was saying that uh, you know it was that she's not happy with how uh, things have been over the last 18 months. And she felt that a strong message had to be sent to the MPs to say, you know, you don't have carte blanche uh, right just to go and and do as you please. You have to listen to your people. And she said, you know, if, if we don't show them this time that it's not acceptable to behave the way that they have done, then come the next election, they'll just assume that everything is, you know, they can carry on the way that they, they've been behaving. And um, and I have to agree with her that if we don't send a message, and I think that you posed me the question the last time, um, you know, do I think that a strong message should be sent to central government to say, you know, you need to pull your socks up or... Tell Mayor. Have I gone? No. Can you hear me? Uh, okay. Yes, I can hear you loud and clear. Oh, okay. Bear and you're, and it's, everything's still good. I can see on my screen that you're not dropping off anywhere, and I don't think I'm dropping you, off either. Are you absolutely sure? I'm just, As, I'm a little positive. I'm no, a little no, no. conscious. Okay, it's saying the same again that lost connection is come back on again, and my screen is still uh, saying that it's recording what I'm saying. But the red light is flashing. Well, that's flashes because it's recording. But you, yeah, well, I can. Everything is working fine. What's happening good. with my line? No, I think you're okay. I, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think I'll just say we're okay. I'm just really conscious after last time that yes. I could be talking and actually everything could be going wrong. But let's hope that it isn't. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I no, I think that we 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 could be okay. I don't quite understand why I'm losing connection. I'm not touching anything. My internet should be absolutely fine. So uh, it's nine minutes and forty five seconds. So remember that time and see what where we get to on that. So I think you were then just giving us a, an update on, on yes. what you. Sorry, you 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 posed me the question um, a couple of days ago as to whether I thought a message should be sent to the Conservatives or saying, you know, you need to pull your socks up and Conservative voters going and putting their allegiance to another party or whether I thought the people should go out and vote Conservative. I, and I think I still stand by what I said. I think that you have to remember this is a local election and you have to vote for what's best for your area. And if the Conservatives are doing a fine job, then there's no reason. If it's not broke, don't fix it. So, uh, but well, I still... I'm, not, I'm not sure necessarily a lot of people will be agreeing with you on that. Um, and I think, actually, to be fair, I felt after the election a few years ago with Boris Johnson, um, we had county elections not so long ago. I did feel that there was perhaps some people who were a little bit disappointed that the Conservatives did so well because they were kind of hoping a message would be sent. And I wonder whether there's an element of that this time that people do genuinely want a message sent because ultimately, you know, everything is well, I. I I think I said before, I don't think it's party political to say that it's been a shambles over the past couple of years, um, because I think everyone of, of every rosette yeah. colour will kind of agree with that. Um, I genuinely think that people are angry and I think people are frustrated. And I think this is the first big 
local election that we have had, and people are going to be wanting to voice their frustrations. But we'll see. I mean, we're now only a few hours away from the polls closing. And then I know that there will be some counting overnight. I know some will be counting during the day tomorrow. And so hopefully by the, well, definitely by the next podcast, unless this one goes completely wrong, uh, we will know what the outcome is. And we'll be able to see just who's right and just who's, well, in my case, I'm going to be right no matter what, because I think I've covered every base <laughs> possible actually, as, it, as it happens. Nothing like sitting on the lens, Thomas. No, there isn't. Absolutely. I've got the splinters to prove it. So, um, so I think, and we're going to be really quick in covering like the main topics, because I said we'd go through the kind of key take-homes of what we've kind of seen since the... Uh, since the start of the year. I think I explained last time that the the reason why we had a bit of a hiatus was we didn't want to do anything during pre-election because uh, you are still a political uh, councillor. So you are a member of a party. And so therefore, it could be seen as being slightly political to have just one person from one party on them. And although we're not, you know, we're a company, we're not a, a kind of a local authority, you know, for the people that we deal with, etc. It just felt like the right thing to do. So we took a bit of a hiatus for that reason. And because uh, you have numerous holidays planned. And so <laughs> it seemed like a good reason to kind of cover the fact that, you know, woman of the people, potential future mayor of Norfolk, uh, wasn't just sunning herself for the past three months. You make it sound as I spent my days on the beach, Thomas. Well, That's not the situation. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I'd love it to be, it's just unfortunate that when I take my holidays, they're, they're all quite close to each other. So, yes. So, yeah, I totally appreciate that. And I think we were right not to, to put anything out um, at, for the time being. But we've got another few hours and then uh, we'll, you know, we'll be back on to um, – mutual ground again absolutely and so we will return to our weekly podcast editions yes. and so everyone can put those in their diaries and hopefully like and subscribe as well which i've always heard people say and i've always thought god i'd never say that and here i am <laughs> saying the very same thing um so i think just a, a run through of of kind of basically what has been happening since the start of the year um we spoke about the, the significant numbers of chief officers leaving the, the larger principal councils. Um, and I will see how good your memory is by asking you my cigarette packet calculation of the number that have announced they're resigning or have resigned from the principal council since January. How many do you think? Oh, I wrote this down and I've left my notepad downstairs. Did you say something like 23? That is the exact number I said. So you see, your memory is much better than you let on, which worries me no end um, about the things that you actually do recall. And um, yes. So, and, and we did discuss whether it was uh, because of ill health or the working conditions or the pressure that they find themselves under since, uh, since lockdown. Absolutely. And, you know, I think everyone has recognised at the moment with the principal councils across England and to an extent, perhaps Wales, there has been, well, I'm not going to put it kind of lightly, that there have been scandals left, right and centre um, with principal councils, especially in terms of finance. I mean, the number of notices that have been issued to restrict councils to just statutory spending um, 
have been incredible. And I don't know the exact number of, I think they're called Section 114 notices um, that have been issued. But you look at places, you know, like Croydon, who are now looking to go after their previous I think monitoring officer and and finance officer over mistakes that have been made there. You look at issues down in Devon, you look at issues in Tower Hamlets, you look at issues pretty much everywhere. Really, there have been to some degree either political issues or financial issues. And that's not to say that, you know, not every council in the country is having these problems by any extent, but there does seem to be a greater number than usual that are suffering from it. And I think... You know, when when you look at what's happening, it seems like some local government officers have a, a kind of, I don't know how to describe it, whether they have a, a feeling that their ability is far greater than actually in reality it is. They believe that they can, you know, basically play the property market. They can, you know, speculate uh, taxpayers' money and try and get a return on it. And actually it's failed miserably. I don't know if there's a certain arrogance that's there but i certainly think a lot of it is undermining uh people's trust in local authorities of every tier really yeah this is it and and again this is where scrutiny needs to needs to take a step up uh in relation to these um officers assuming that they have carte blanche just to go ahead and and do you know and it's playing is playing around with public money and nobody should have the authority to do that it's you know it's it's public money you councillors are elected to ensure that local government, the councils, district, town, uh, county, that they are spending that money wisely. And uh, and I think that scrutiny needs to take a much stronger part in, in all local government at this moment in time. We're in probably one of the worst situations financially this country has been in for a very long time. So, we need to we've just come out of covid you know we we've money has been spent on furlough people and um on benefits uh you know businesses have gone out of business and there's you know we but at the same time we've got so many vacancies that um it, it the whole situation is really topsy turvy isn't it because we've got more vacancies than we've had for many many years but yet the the Debt and the hardship that we have is is worse than what we've had for people are saying for the past seventy years. So so the local government need to be taking responsibility just as the householders are. We've all had to tighten our belts and we've all had to make sure that we're not wasting money. And local government needs to be doing exactly the same. I agree with you. I mean, I you know. Previously, I, I worked in scrutiny. I think scrutiny, if done properly, is a fantastic thing. And I know that the MJ did a big thing on avoiding failure, I think, within the past couple of months. And one of their biggest things was promoting what scrutiny does and saying, you know, genuinely, scrutiny is going to be a huge thing for councils. But I, I always go back to the fact I worked in a really well-funded scrutiny department at Cardiff. We were, I believe, the biggest scrutiny department in England and Wales. Um and basically, we worked really closely with the executive. We saw directors, we saw chief officers, we met with the leader regularly. And, you know, we had a really good relationship. And I think 
I would go as far as to say, I think nine out of 10 scrutiny recommendations were adopted by the executive because they were just really well evidenced. And often the executive would say, we're looking at making a decision or we're looking at this um, in the future. We're kind of horizon scanning. Is this something scrutiny could look at? And give us your views. And we would have counsellors who are really, really good in scrutiny, have a lot of experience in other areas that perhaps, you know, the executive can't know everything in, in every area. And they would pull on the experience of those counsellors, would come out with some really good recommendations. And the majority were always adopted. And sometimes, you know, proposals weren't adopted by um, the executive, but they would always give feedback as to why. And often they were well-evidenced kind of view. So I think the problem with scrutiny for a lot of councils is it is reliant upon proper funding and that funding is given by the executive. And so if the executive don't want a great deal of scrutiny, well you only put one scrutiny officer in, you make it really difficult for them to get information, you release agendas to them for meetings, you know, literally just before scrutiny due to meet. And it just doesn't work. And I think people really misunderstand just how you know, how much you can save. I mean, you don't need, you know, you don't need to be an expert in local government to know if you want to go and benchmark, if you want to go and visit places, you know, you can jump on a plane, you can jump on a bus, you can jump, you know, in the car, you can go and visit places, get feedback directly from people instead of employing expensive consultants on, you know, hundreds of pounds a day to tell you what people can tell you you know, face to face, and you'll get a much better understanding. And scrutiny was always really good when I worked there at going to places, understanding services, how they're being delivered elsewhere, and seeing how they could be adapted um, for the services that were being provided to citizens, and then providing a really good evidence based report. And I would say those reports were always written by members. And so it cut a lot of the officer jargon, it made it really straightforward. And I think then they were more accessible anyway to the public. And this is the thing. It's it's a case of, you know, sometimes the experience that you have amongst your councillors and the experience that the officers have, you all work really well together, you gel together and you come up with some amazing ideas. But as you said, it needs to be the executive need to be happy to stand up and say, yes, I, I want scrutiny in, in my council. I want to know that everything is, is above board and we're doing everything the right way. This is what's best for this community and and, and move forward on that. Um, but if an executive isn't uh, prepared to stand up and say, yep, yeah, let's go with as much scrutiny as we can get, it is up to councillors to say, you know, councillors are the elected uh, representative of the community. So it is their place to know and understand it is their responsibility to hold the executive to account and to make sure that, uh, you know, they, they are doing things so that nothing is, you know, the funds aren't going to be put at risk because some CEO decides, you know, this is the way that we're going to go down and this is what I want to do. So, so that's, and again, you know, today in, in the majority of England, we will have elected many, many new councillors who haven't got the experience of how local government works in town and district. So I feel so strongly that every new councillor who's never been on the councils before needs to be given training as to what their responsibility is and how to approach 
that responsibility. And I'm not so sure these days that that's done as in detail as what it should what it should be and how it was many years ago. I think it's just too easy to say they're only here for four years, so they can pick up as they go along. I know in one council that um, there was a by-election um, a few months ago, and uh, that person came into the, the you know the district council. And they weren't given any advice on how to move forward. They didn't know who to go to, to ask um, about any planning issues. Nobody was, you know, nobody was given, they didn't give them a a few phone numbers or a few email addresses and said, this is what you need to do. Because they were in a minority, I think that the officers probably thought, no, they'll find their way. and, and, to be and fair, that's when not you, acceptable. No, when I mean, I think when you're within kind of, I would say, you know, six to, to eight months of an election, they kind of feel, you know, the impact isn't going to be huge. And so we'll just wait and do the, the full refresh altogether. And you're right, you know, that, that diminishes the role of the member. Um, and I think, you know, increasingly, the things you're seeing at the councils with a lot of issues are often ones where, you know, members aren't holding officers to account properly. And that really causes a bit of a problem because, you know, that that democratic mandate, I think we're increasingly seeing that being eroded ahead of professional officers diminishing that role. Most definitely. And and using elections as a kind of really as as a bit of an excuse to to kind of make changes to do things that they've been wanting to, to reintroduce a new agenda that, that plays more to what the officer's strategic view is as opposed to the members and i would say that that happens at larger councils predominantly principal councils i think at the the other end where where we operate the kind of town and parish councils i think elections actually play a very different role i think that they are far more member led i would say almost exclusively member led um but i think also officers put a lot of themselves and their identity into these organizations and so actually I did say, I think one of the first podcasts we did, I think I said, we don't generally mind as officers who gets elected, we'll work with anyone. And I stand by that. But I did also get some comment back saying, well, actually, I I do, you know, we lose all our counsellors. And it's kind of like the, the public have really turned their back on everything that's happened. As an officer, that's really disheartening because you often put a lot of yourself into what the council does and how the council does it. And election results are a reflection on the elected members, but also for for some, they feel that it's a reflection on them, that actually if everyone gets returned, it feels like you're doing a really good job. But if, you know, there's whole scale change it feels sometimes like actually we haven't delivered what we've hoped to achieve, especially when I think our services are far more visual because, you know, people see them every day. People see when they look out the window far more of what we do as a council than what the district or counties will do. This is it. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's the, the once I've never been in the situation as yet, but you know, if you're if you lose out an election at an election, it's a case that your community has rejected you, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, you you've worked so hard over the those past four years, and the community have said no, we didn't think that you did a good enough job. And for the officers that are working alongside those councillors, it's been teamwork all the way along. You know, the officers 
the councillors say what they what they would like to see, and the officers go away and they make that happen. And I don't see that there's ever going to be a situation, especially in in local you know town and parishes, that the person that the councillor that's been elected doesn't want what's best for that community. And again, to have an officer that's working in a small parish town council you you will do everything that you can to make it you know to make it a fine place to live so it's working together and i can understand what you're saying that when if that whole team was wiped out and a new team comes along then it is saying you know we weren't happy with what you did Absolutely. so does that then turn around and mean that the the officers should be saying okay i'll look you know you obviously weren't happy with what we were doing so we'll move on but that experience that would be lost would be just horrendous it's bad enough that you'd be losing the councillors that got the experience yeah. but then to be losing the officers i mean i don't think officers just be awful i think it'd be unusual for an officer to to step down i i think it would normally be that change of of political will and and of political vision it would just be adapting within the confines of, of what the council has um as to how we deliver it and i you know i really I find it really difficult when people do tar officers with that kind of political brush that you've worked yeah. with some political party closely before, and so therefore you are un- unwilling or unable to do it elsewhere. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I remember, I can't remember, I want to say it was Malta, um, that I knew someone who, who came from Malta, and he was saying, you know, basically, it feels like when the government changes, everyone in the public sector change as well. So airports lose staff, and, you know, the civil service is pretty much completely political. And there is no kind of apolitical kind of officer core. And I think that's a real strong element of our democracy. But what I do think is elections, you know, I don't think councils should have every member up for election at the same time. I think those councils that do it on a quarterly basis, so you get a quarter, 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 quarter. I think those are the ones really that you often see a lot more continuity because i mean you'd never one of our councillors said you never replace the board of a company everyone at once and so why would you do it with the local disaster and this is it and until really until the last few months i hadn't really and again you know with us being in the situation that we in where we're in where there is such a threat to the councillors who've been in in existence for a long time on on the town council um norwich city council do that every Every third, isn't it? Yeah, they, I think they do a third, a third, a third, and then they have yeah. a year without elections. Yeah, which is this year, isn't it? Which is, it is really you know uncanny considering that the whole of the district is up and, and all the, the towns and parishes, but the city isn't. But now I, I really think that is that maybe that is the way forward. Is the city not up? No. Are you sure? No, no, no definitely. I'm sure. Are they? Yeah, I think they are. Did I think, I think they've me, got a third of them as well. I thought this was their year of not doing it, but now, now you say that I think there is somebody I know standing in, in city. So, <laughs> um, so maybe, uh, maybe no, 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 I'm wrong. But again, it's I, I think that that's a more sensible way uh, for, for projects that have been ongoing for such a long time and some new, you know, a full new council come along and they're not aware of the project and just think, no, let's just grab that, um, which would be you know, a horrendous situation to be in. But yeah, it is, it's the way that we, the way that our democracy works can be really hard to understand sometimes. Yes, it can. 
And I just want to go back to what you were just saying a few seconds ago about, oh, really? um, you know, with government, you know, whenever governments change, the whole civil service changes. But do you really think that at the moment we've got a civil service that aren't, that are, um, you know, not political, you know, apolitical? Do you really think that that's the, the kind of government that we, or civil service that we have at the moment? Whenever you listen to what things have been said I mean, and how some of them have reacted to certain ministers, it just makes you wonder sometimes just how much, how apolitical they really are. I mean, to, to be fair, I think the difficulty with having serving civil servants is they can't individually come out and speak. So you hear the one element of what politicians say and they make grand and i'm assuming you mean dominic raab um kind of grand claims about you know we can't criticize we can't do this it's really dangerous i think it isn't about kind of holding people to account i think it's the manner in which you do it you know if i had someone coming into my office shouting and screaming at me about things every time something went wrong you know that that's not acceptable if if someone came in and said you know i have real concerns about this what can we do to improve um you know Mm. you have capability kind of measures for a reason yeah but again if if somebody if and this is never going to ever happen in your situation or the way that things are at the moment with us but if if you're in a situation that it is just constantly, you are asking someone to do the job constantly, and it's not being done. Well, yeah, but you, then you frustration have... frustration can take over. Well, no, I mean, I I see it differently to that. I see that you have, as a civil service, you have permanent secretaries, and and the permanent secretary is the one that you take it up with. A lot of this was addressed to more junior members of staff, and you then use you know you know you use the chain of management you use that mechanism to improve and if not then you know but, you ship them out you you can ultimately you can dismiss people the ministers have a choice about what they do and how they do it i don't think getting frustrated to the point that you're you know acting in a way that that makes you leave your job I don't think that that's acceptable. I mean, no. admittedly, they don't have HR departments. A minister is in a position that is very unusual. And so there's no kind of HR department to take them to one side and say, oh, by the way, I think this is, you know, an unacceptable way of, of dealing with things. But I think you're only hearing that frustration, etc., from the politician. You're not hearing because, you know, civil servants can't speak publicly individually. No. You're not hearing from them about actually what the true scenario was and i will say you know the the independent report did speak to people and they came down believing the civil servants and not believing the politician but this is the thing and again it's you know it's fine that it's um and i'm not condoning his anybody's behavior nobody has got the right to be rude to somebody else um but then again if somebody's rude to you you know it's treat people as you want to be treated yourself well I, i will say on that you know I remember when <laughs> I first started. No, 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 no. This is a this is this is oh, right, okay. the story oh, this you're of those stories. But I, I remember you saying to me when I first started uh, with the town council that when you know we were making big changes, which weren't universally popular, but they were the right changes because it put everyone on equal footing and it made sure everyone was being treated the same. Um, and I remember you saying to me, you know, 
the right thing to do isn't always the easiest thing to do. And when people are shouting at you, I want you to know that I would be by your side shouting back. And I don't yeah. think you meant like literally shouting back, but it was about that kind of support that, you, in front would of you. that yeah. you would, that you, you, you know, that we're all speaking with the same voice in putting that across. And I think that's a really important way of working, but you don't necessarily kind of get that, yeah. you know, this is it. And it, and it is, but this is the thing, you know, it's just because, you know, we we're elected and, and because you're the, 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 the CEO. Well, well most people are elected. Obviously you after today will not be elected. <laughs> we, we need to actually discuss, I can't call you councillor Sue Lorne um, anymore at the, at the start. And you will be that wonderful thing, which is a town you just mayor. Call me <laughs> You'll be a town mayor without a democratic mandate. And, and yeah. So you'll have a good week or or so of, you know, a a really unusual time where you are still the mayor, but there are 16 other councillors that uh, that have been elected. Um, And I know that I had to show you the book to prove it to you. (laughs) Because you've been telling me for quite a while that, yeah, I would be the only person that would still be be standing at the, on Friday morning. And um, so... I thought, you know, and I'm in my head, I'm thinking, well, Thomas obviously knows what he's doing. So, but then last night or the night before, I suddenly thought, this can't be right. How can it be that I'm still the town mayor and I'm no longer elected by the, the community? How can it be right that I supersede? those councillors and um and and I thought no that's got to be wrong and this morning we were talking and you were telling me that it wasn't quite how I was expecting it to be but um but then you proved that it was in the in the in the in the good book yes the the bible of local government which, which is um you know Arnold Baker Yes, and and it clearly states that as a town mayor, is it elected at an annual meeting? You are indeed. And until the next annual meeting, the town mayor is still presiding over the town council. Absolutely. And so, you know, as they say, it's democracy, folks, but not as we know it. (laughs) This is exactly what I was saying, the democracy sometimes in this country is is very, very strange. But I'm happy that I'm still here for another week. As am I. Uh, and actually, you, you know what? I'm, I'm looking forward to the many podcasts that you can do unchained from political office. You probably won't be pleased with those ones, actually. <laughs> I think in, instead of going through Everything else, because we're already at 38 minutes. This is just how quick time flies. I think the only thing I will ask you about just to to finish um, will be, you know, we've we've spoken about failings in in principal councils. Last year, I think the announcement came from Michael Gove about the Office for Local Government, which has been, I don't know what it is in this country that we, we need to abbreviate everything. Instead of just saying the Office for Local Government is off log. Um, which is a really unfortunate one you know off gem kind of sounds kind of good off what you kind of get but yeah off log just sounds a little bit quite like off log (laughs) (laughs) just makes it sound like you've kind of had a bit of an accident so do you think that 
it's needed. Do you think that, you know, there, there's talk about the LGA and the, the kind of insights they do with, you know, in-depth performance analysis, that that should be sufficient? Do you think we need an office for local government to really nail down what is happening in local government at the moment and improve standards? Yes, I do. And, and purely because what we were discussing a little while ago, you know, is um, the, the, I think the trust has gone um, from lots of um, local councils. I think that, as we were saying, I think that sometimes officers are under the assumption that, you know, they're, they're so detached from their communities that they're not taking um you know taking their communities seriously they think you know and again we 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 did discuss this previously they're you know they're within uh, an office that public can't access if you're in county or district council if you're in a town council or a parish council then the public can ex- act, you know get access to you and they can tell you what they're thinking but whenever you move up a level or two levels then you don't have you 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 don't have that direct face to face with the officers in and I think that what's happening is that yeah in in town and parishes there's still the trust there even though um, not all residents and communities understand what that first tier of local government is about and blame as we've said before numerous times blame the local parish and town councils for everything that goes wrong <laughs> and then you know whenever they then then realize but they try to get through to the district or the or the county councils it's an impossibility and again is sometimes you and i never thought that i would be saying this about you know the area that we're in but sometimes if you you know if you have an issue with uh, your phone provider or your energy provider you can you can phone and you can probably guarantee you will never speak to the same person twice. I never thought that would be a situation in, in local government. And unfortunately, I think we are now getting to where yeah, you, think, phone, you speak to right. somebody and they they say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll sort that out for you. Nothing ever comes back. And by the time you phone again uh, and get through to somebody, no, they, they have no record of, of that happening. No. And I think this uh, will, will now... Um, bring things around where people were, are more answerable to their community for uh, for, for their failings in, in dealing with uh, I mean, with the community around them. Increasingly, you know, I think you're right in a, in a lot of what you've said. I think almost, I mean, the thing I I prided myself on when I worked in local government, and I pride myself on now, is it's it's about public service and i think there's yeah. a huge dignity in public service that's exactly what it is and and i think people have lost their way as to actually yeah. what traditional public service looked like and when you look back kind of 20 30 50 years i think there was a real feeling and a, a kind of sense of being proud of local government service and i think that's gone and i think now people have become at the the kind of the the upper tiers of local government they've kind of forgotten that kind of essential this is public service i think at town and parish councils it's probably even stronger now than it was because i think genuinely we are now picking up the 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 kind of the, the slack from 
other tiers of local government not having that at heart. And I think we are increasingly then having to do it for ourselves, being the face of decisions that we don't necessarily accept or even know about. But because we're the only people people can actually come and see, we get the brunt of it. And the amount of times, you know, we have referred people on and said, this is a county issue, we'll we'll take it forward for you. Um, We'll signpost you to the right place, we'll advocate for you. But we actually get when they get told no by county, it comes down to us. They 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 almost accept that they're not going to get anywhere with county, but they yeah. want to take that frustration out on a local government officer. And we're the ones that are just around the corner. You know, they can pop in and see and they can take it out on on you and they yeah. can say, I know this isn't your fault, but, but we'll then continue in a kind of slightly cathartic way of kind of, you know, expressing their disdain. <laughs> and I think that that element of service is missing in some tiers of local government and with some officers and i'm really proud that i think at town and parish level we still have it but i think we're going to start to see fatigue as to whether we as officers really want to be put through it on an ongoing basis and when you see the failings that are happening with people that are to to put it bluntly and i don't think anything i don't think anyone joins local government at this tier for the money by any stretch of the imagination. I think it is about community and it is about service. But when you see people on, you know, four times the salary, five times salary, sometimes even greater than that, of the person that's being shouted at, you think, well, actually, you know, is this worth it? And that's why you see an exodus of staff sometimes because they ultimately decide, no, it's not. But I think as well, I think that what if there's any CEOs listening to this, then it would be really great if they would just sit down and reflect on how their teams are dealing with the the customer service. Um, I think that you're right. I think it is they they have lost the they've lost track of what it was all about, and um, and we need to get back into that 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 situation because again, you know, we were the failings of the the higher officers. Um, it's 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 not them who are going to take the the brunt of it for the elections to come up every four years. It will be the councillors, the members who will not be voted back in again because of the failings of that council. I know that, you know, there'll be, again, you know, with, with the planning situation that we've got here in Norfolk at the moment, there'll be so many people who will be so angry that they've, you know, they've been put into this situation where they can't get on. As we've said before, you know, there'll, there'll be so many small businesses that will go under. Absolutely. But that's nothing to do with, um, you know, the um, the parish councils. And again, the district council has been, you know, their arms are tied because of the situation. I mean, but I, they I will take say- it out on the, on the councils, on the members, as opposed to be taking it out on uh, – the, the senior officers who should be doing everything they can to resolve the situations. I mean, I, I will just say on that, you know, I, I'm now far greater involved um, in what's happening with nutrient neutrality and planning. Um, just to, you know, drop it casually into conversation, I'm working with five district councils um, on the governance element of the resolution for this um, as one of the contracts that I'm doing at the moment. And so I, I do have a good insight into what's happening. And, and district councils are pulling, you know, astounding things out of the bag to try and get this working. But that at the moment is not going to be reflected because, 
you know, we're still at a standstill. And although we're very close and we're doing, you know, amazing work to get it passed, you know, nothing moves quickly when you're dealing with, you know, I'm not going to blame everything on, on natural England, but actually there are some things that they could be quick on. You know, the government have been reasonably good at trying to get money out there and money available to, to resolve these issues, but they've only just announced in the past few weeks a funding pot. And this has been going on for, you know, months and months and months and like you say small businesses Just are going to be year. impacted so it's yeah. it's ridiculous but i will finally say unless you have something you want to add no um i think but that, i think that is something that we we could probably discuss on the next time just how how long the processes seem to be these days if you know how how local government almost as long moves. as the sentence you're saying at the moment i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> okay i have nothing more to say <laughs> dr foreman well thank you councillor and so for probably the last time i will say thank you councillor and i will yes. also say you know, I'm looking forward to these podcasts continuing and to continue to benefit from your insight into local government and generally to have your company, to be honest with you. And it has been a pleasure to work with you as a councillor and it will be an even greater pleasure working with you um, as my co-host. Oh, I hope so. On an <laughs> I hope you're still thinking basis. that in a month's time. <laughs> but, but again, you know, it, now is maybe the time for us to be bringing in guest counsellors. No, nope. no chance at all. Um, there is only <laughs> one person that-, that I'm going to have as a co-host. And unfortunately for anyone listening, and unfortunately for you, and in many ways, unfortunately for me, that person is you. And so there will be no guest counsellors. There will be no one else stepping into your shoes because your shoes are well and truly with your huge feet thank you so much for, for those wonderful words i'd like to thank my family and friends no it's, it's been a pleasure it's been fantastic you know i think that we've been doing this for for some time now so it's been it's been really good to to have these conversations and it'd be really good to have the feedback on uh are we almost a year down the line and no, um, no not quite no, no, it just seems that long. But it just seems a lifetime. It seems a lifetime. But no, it would be good to have the feedback. And uh, yes, and we, we can uh, carry on having interesting conversations, but not in the councillor format. Thank you for listening to the Standing Orders podcast by Politis. Please like and subscribe to get your weekly edition. You can suggest topics by emailing podcast at politisconsulting.co.uk. See you next week. And I will just say now, if the sound quality is really poor on this, entirely my fault. Um, and I'm really, really sorry if it's unlistenable. But, but do, hey. you, do you think it was because I wasn't talking loud enough? Oh, no, I think you're speaking plenty loud enough. And in your sentences <laughs> were so long. That it was like the never ending story. So. <laughs> I don't think so. But, you know, it would be good. Hold and on. I know this is. Can, shall I press stop or do you want me to continue? <laughs> just press stop. Yeah. <laughs>